Thank you, Sharon. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the fact that, uh, as we just heard, that, that your love for us, demonstrated through your son Jesus, makes us to respond in kind. And Lord, I pray that as we've had a, this great opportunity to honor mothers, which in turn should really honor you, Lord, I pray today that, that uh, you'd be well pleased with what, what we're doing here. And Lord, I'm asking that you would speak through me. I'm asking that you would, you would continue on, that, that these, these words, which I believe are from you, would be a great encouragement to us all, that we would, we would find great hope found in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Well, it's been an honor to, uh, to be able to honor mothers today. And uh, I get the privilege of doing that. And I have to tell you, I had a little bit of trepidation as um, Pastor Rick assigned me this role of preaching on Mother's Day. And I thought, well, what do I have to say? I don't, I'm not a mother. Well, what, could, what should I really do? So what I did was I, I got the message together. I felt like God was telling me. And this uh, early on in the week, I went home for lunch and I brought the outline to Lori. And I said, Lori, you know you can give a really good perspective on mothering. And, and I'm hoping that you maybe could give me some feedback about what I've got done so far. And she said, what right do you think that you can speak to mothers about mothering? And I thought, okay. And it must have been a tough morning. And, um, <laughs> and then she said, you know what? We don't need another Mother Day, Mother's Day sermon. We just need a week off just to be pampered and go to the spa and do all that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And because we didn't want to blow the budget today and give you all gift certificates, um, I, uh, we're not going to do that. But I did realize that mothering is really hard. And as I looked at her, I realized, is that one of those times where I just need to gather up the children and vacate the house and let her have some rest? But um, I came to the conclusion that, as I saw the smile on her face, that she was just kidding. And, uh, and as I said in first service, she was here, that it was a, it's a great honor for her to be my wife and the mother of our four children. So she's, a, she's an incredible helpmate to me. Um, that said, I have discovered, and I didn't get this before I was a father and a parent, mothering is difficult. In fact, mothering is not for wimps, if I could put it that way. I mean, that's why Lori was a little bit stressed out when I came home, and that's not an everyday occurrence for her. But I, I, I want to say, why is there really so much pain in mothering? Is that a bless, blessed question for you today? I think it's an honest question. As, I, as we look at this story, now I'm going to encourage you to look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And uh, I just, I'm going to read it to you and give you a few comments about what I see, even in the case of, of Mary, as the mother of Jesus, that she had some real challenges. It was painful. It was difficult. And I hope that will encourage you too. So in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and following, you don't know where John is? Just look at the front of your Bible, look for the table of contents, and look for the Gospel of John, and you should find it, and jump to chapter 2. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, 
They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars and the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew and then he called the bridegroom aside and said, uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. And after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed a few days. Did you pick out some of the, the places in the story here where we see that, that Mary would have experienced some real challenges and difficulties as a mother? The first thing that I found was that for her to even be at this wedding showed a lot. Because often mothers, your reputation is suspect. And, and that was the case in Mary's, Mary's life. Remember, Jesus was not born the normal way. Mary was actually visited by an angel, and the angel came to him, came to her when she was just a little girl, and said, um, "As a teenager, you know what? You are, you are going to carry the long-awaited Messiah, the one who will save his people from their sins." And she's like, "Well, how can this be? I've never been with a man. I'm a virgin." The Holy Spirit says, the Holy, the Holy, or this angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, and when Joseph found out, it says in Matthew chapter 1, that he decided to kind of divorce her kind of quietly. He was a respectful man, but he said, this, this is not right. And the angel said, no, this is from God. And as you put yourself in the situation of Mary and in the story of Mary, her whole life she'd probably have been an uphill battle. She would have always been struggling with the Kind of a suspicious beginning. Uh, people would suspect her. But we see in this passage that she's now come to a place of honor, at least to the point where she was invited as a guest to a wedding. That's what we see in verse 1. We also see, though, that Mary just didn't overcome some of that difficult reputation that she had at the beginning. We see that she, as most mothers do, do way more than mothering. Is it true? Is it true, mothers, that you do way more than mothering? I mean, as I watch you, you serve at the church. You, often many of you work outside the home to provide for your family. You're always caring for people beyond your own brood. This is what Mary does and. Verse uh, 3, we find that she was the one who noticed that the wine was gone. She's the one who wants to take action. Mary was the one taking stock of the wine. and So on behalf of fathers and children, 
We thank you for the fact that you're, you're taking care of us. You're taking beyond your scope of responsibilities and helping us and being servants. And I, I watch as my own mother and my own wife do that. They, they care for others even beyond their, their first charge of their children. I also see in this passage that mothering is, is really challenging because mothers often have to see the potential in their children when no one else does. Mothers, you fight, and you encourage, and you strengthen, and you, you say, you can do it, son. You can do it, daughter. We believe in you. We, we know that you, you can, through the strength of God, we know that you can, you can reach your potential. And that is so encouraging. We need that, don't we? Mothers, I hope that you are doing that. I encourage you to continue on in doing it. That's what Jesus had his own mother do. Mary didn't go to anyone else. She just said, hey, my son Jesus, he can take care of this problem. I also see that Mary had to overcome the obstacle on the flip side of not just seeing the potential in her son, but also she had to release her child, her son, to God's own calling. We have to do that too. Mothers, that's really challenging. You, you strive and you, you pour yourself into your child and then your heart is there, isn't it? And then they go off to university or college or wherever God's calling them to do in life. Maybe it's walking them down the aisle with your husband and saying, saying not really goodbye, but we know that the relationship's now going to change. And Mary had to do that too. She had to release Jesus. We probably think in the story of Mary and Joseph that Joseph was older than Mary. And Joseph, we don't see um, continuing on much in, this, in the gospel accounts. And so probably Joseph had passed on. And if you could think about it just for a second, Jesus was probably, as the firstborn son, taking care of his mother for those 30 years. And probably provided for the family and took care of him. But then he went on and fulfilled his ultimate calling that God had for him, to be a preacher of the good news and to tell people of salvation is through him so that they can know the Father. And so just as an aside, I want to tell you, mothers, this is really hard, but don't hold your children back. Don't hold your children back for the assignments and the callings that God has in their life. You might think, I, I can't let them go off to some part around the world and minister for the gospel. That's really hard. But the most dangerous place they could be is if they don't, they don't follow God's calling. I know my, my parents have expressed to me, they were here this morning, they said, you know, it was really hard when you left London, Ontario, and moved to Chicago, Illinois, the big wicked city of Chicago, to pursue God's calling in your life. And it was really hard. And I, now that I'm a parent myself, I can't imagine saying goodbye to Jesse and Josiah and Noah and Luke and saying, you know, Godspeed, God be with you. Mary had to do that. That's really hard. Mothering's not for wimps, is it? I also see in this passage that um, children have to be allowed their, their independence. And we find that, that that's what Mary did. They had to, Mary had to allow for her own son Jesus, independence. If you notice this, it's, it's sort of this, this verse that sticks out in my mind. Look at verse 4 of John chapter 2. It says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My name 
My time has not yet come. Now that statement sort of, it sort of feels like Jesus is distancing himself a little bit from his mother. My time hasn't come. Why do you involve me? Literally, that means, what is it to me and you? How does this involve me? How is this my affair? What we need to understand, though, is that Jesus had no competing controls on his life. It was always the Heavenly Father first and his earthly family second. We see in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus essentially saying this. He says in John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. He always lived, not independently, but dependent upon his heavenly Father. And we know that even in this verse, going back to John, that as he's talking to his mother, we know that he really was an obedient son. If you recall, when Jesus first started his ministry, he was, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And as he was being baptized, there was this, this voice from heaven that broke through the clouds and said, This is my son, in whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. God the Father would never say that if Jesus had dishonored his mother Mary and his father Joseph. Jesus was an obedient son. But that doesn't mean he was a dutiful son or necessarily a compliant son. He put his heavenly father first. You get a little picture of this when, when he was a young boy and uh, his family had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival and they had a great time and as Mary and Joseph were heading back to, to Galilee, to their hometown, um, they must have been caught up in talking to their relatives and they realized, where's Jesus? I'm sure Joseph would have said, Mary, did, did Jesus say anything to you? And Mary said, no, I thought he said something to you. And where is he? So they, they made a frantic search and they couldn't find him. They went all the way back to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they found him in the temple, debating with the teachers of the law and explaining the scriptures to them. And when they asked and questioned Jesus, you know, where were you? Why didn't you tell us? Essentially, like, you should have known I'd be in my father's house. Jesus was an obedient son. It doesn't mean he's a dutiful son. I hope that encourages you, especially if you have one of those children, who I have, which I'm not going to name, who uh, beats to his own drum, who is strong-willed, who needs to be harnessed in the right direction. Jesus showed this again in his earthly ministry. When he's, he's told, he's in this house and he's told that his family is outside and they would love to meet him. And he's like, let's just wait on that. Because I want you to know who my real mother and my sister and my brothers are. It's, one, it's those who do the will of my father. And Jesus exemplified that in his own life. And yet I'm sure that Mary at times, that was hard for her. I hope that will encourage you today, mothers. Mothering is really challenging. And that's just a few of the things that we find in the scriptures of some of the challenges that mothers had. And so it makes me ask the question, begs the question, what should mothers do because mothering is so challenging and life is so challenging? Well, I want to say this, and listen up. 
Mothers should seek miracles from God. Mothers should seek miracles from God. Did you know that mothering is intended to be a place of miracles? It's intended to be a place of miracles. Think about how mothering begins. Miracle of birth. Now some of you might be saying, miracles, I didn't think I needed a miracle today. I'm going to say, yes, you do. See, my definition of a miracle is this. God's intervention in a seemingly impossible situation. It's where God intervenes in a seemingly impossible situation. Now, a place of miracles always begins in a place of pain. You think about that. A place of miracles always begins in a place of pain. It started... um, Way back, uh, let's take, for example, the Israelites. The Israelites were 400 years enslaved to the Egyptians in the land of Egypt. And um, the oppression that they must have felt and the the scourging of the whips on their their backs would have been awful. In the midst of that great difficulty, God raises up a deliverer, Joseph, to go to, to, to Pharaoh of Egypt and say, let my people go. And finally, through ten miraculous plagues, he gets hold of Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let him go. And the, the Israelites take off, and, and then they're, they're encamped around the Red Sea, and uh, Pharaoh has a change of heart again, and he gathers his army, and they chase after him. And just as about they're about to kill the, the Israelites, God opens that Red Sea, Let's them walk on dry land, the Israelites, and get to the other side. And as the Egyptians chase them, he lets the water come back over. And God really delivers his people from their enemies. He does a miracle. Another miracle I can think of is the widow that we've read in, in the book of Kings. And this widow um, was in so much debt that when the bill collectors came... They were threatened to take away her children, which they could in that day. And, and so she comes to the prophet Elisha and she says, you've got to help. God's got to help. What can, what can we do? And so Elisha said, go get that little jar of oil that you have left in your house and gather as many containers as you can. Fill the containers up and then sell them and provide for your family. And guess what? She did that. She did what God told her. God just overflowed those jars so that she could take care of her family. It's great pain. She lost her husband. She was about to lose her children. But God did a miracle. Maybe God will provide for you today. In fact, I know he will if you will yet trust him. The greatest miracle that ever happened was Jesus himself. Jesus came down to earth and he did live that sinless, perfect life. And then he was was gathered in by his enemies and they mocked him. They stripped him and they beat him and they whipped him. And then they nailed him to that cross. And the greatest miracle ever happened, after he had died, three days later, he came back to life so that you and I may live a new life. 
place of miracles always begins in the place of pain. In my own life, when we became parents, when Lori became a mother, it was a place of pain. It's always a place of pain, isn't it? Mothers, as you, you give birth. In our case, it was like a Sunday morning just like this, April 2001. We were ready to head off to church, and all of a sudden, Lori's waters broke. She was only seven months, a little at the end of seven months pregnant. And uh, first we were like, oh, this is exciting. I was all jazzed. I thought, this is great. And then I realized, this isn't supposed to happen for a couple more months. Called the doctor, and they told us immediately to come to the hospital, and we found out that um, that Jessie was was breech, and uh, that she was going to be born that day. So they were able to hold her off for a little while and help her along, and and I remember, I remember being in that hospital room after they had taken Lori away for that emergency C-section. And just crying out to God, please, Lord, rescue my little baby. Lord, please rescue my wife. And I saw the pain. But I also saw the miracle. God rescued my little daughter. The umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. If she would have gone full term, I wouldn't have Jesse Elizabeth stairs. God is a miracle working God. And so, brothers and sisters, and especially you mothers, miracle-seeking mothers need to follow after God. And what they really need to do is they need to do whatever Jesus tells them. Mothers, you need a miracle today. You need to seek a miracle. And miracle-seeking mothers do whatever Jesus tells them. Well, how do you seek a miracle? Well, first thing you do is you surrender control of the situation to Jesus. In this story in John chapter 2, we find that um, reality is the... Well... The lack of wine is really the responsibility of the bridegrooms. In that culture, um, the wedding would usually last about seven days. And if you can imagine, huge expense. And there would be lots of preparation. And in that culture, being hospitable is one of the most important values that you could have. And you had to have enough food, enough wine to provide for all of the guests that you, you had. And in this case... Halfway through this wedding ceremony, celebration, the wine runs out. This would have been a great stigma on the the bridegroom. We find in the end of verse 9 that it's actually the bridegroom who's in in charge of this. It says, then he called the bridegroom aside. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after. So we see the bridegroom really is in charge. But guess what? He, He let the guests down. And... The truth of the matter is, many of you have been let down. I know that. I've talked to you. What I want to say today is that Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never let you down. So that's why we need to turn to him. We need to seek him. We need to ask him to experience a miracle and the miracle of Christ in our life. Now, I want us to ask about five questions today. If you really want to experience a miracle of Christ, if you recognize that you really have a need of him. And I need to warn you that frequent 
miracles are often mistaken for the mundane. There are times where you might be thinking, I need the, the dead to be raised to life. I need for the lame to walk again. I need for the blind to see. But there are miracles that happen each and every day. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear. It happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was watching the kids, and uh, they were all out riding their bikes on the sidewalk. And um, Josiah had climbed into a neighbor's cart. And at our, in our house, we live on a little bit of an incline. And the driveway, you know, is, is a little hill, and, um, and, it, and it has a decline onto the street. And so um, I turned my head for a second, and I know that Josiah was in this cart. And all of a sudden, I saw this, this hat that he was wearing just on top of the cars going down the hill. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a car coming. And there was no way I was going to capture Josiah and rescue him before that car was going to hit him. God stopped that car. How many times does that stuff happen all the time in our lives? And yet we, 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 we forget about God's intervention in seemingly impossible situations. And so we need to really look for those miracles in our lives. And how do we do that? Well, we need to ask ourselves those five questions. Here's the five questions I want you to take with you, okay? The first one is this. Do you go to Jesus first with your problem? Do you go to Jesus first with your problem? That's what Mary did. When the wine was gone in verse 3, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now Mary could have gone to the obvious source of help. If you run out of wine, where do you go? You go to the vineyard. You go to the place where they make wine. You go to the wine cellar and you're like, I need some wine. Jesus didn't go to the or Mary didn't go to the obvious source of help. She went to Jesus. She went to Jesus first. And so I'm challenging you again. Do you go to Jesus first with your problem, with your situation? Number two, do you trust Christ for the impossible? Do you trust Christ for the impossible? Mary did. Mary expected Jesus to act. And here's where I think, brothers and sisters, where we fail so much. Not just fail as parents, but just fail in life. Do we really expect Jesus to act in our midst? To work and do mighty things in our midst? Mary did. Mary expected Jesus to do something. I don't know. She just knew that from the time that she had conceived this, this incredible boy that now had turned into a man, that he could do the miraculous, he could do the powerful things in her life. And so she turned to him. And she expected Jesus to act. Now, now some of you say, well, John, what's the difference between expecting God to act and presuming on God? Well, I think the difference is this. When you expect Jesus to act, you don't demand a certain outcome. And that's what Mary did. She's just like, they have no more wine. She didn't say, you know what, Jesus, why don't you, you do one of those really kind of neat things that I think you can do? Why don't you just like fill all the glasses, just say the word? Instead, she let Jesus control the situation. So we need to ask ourselves, do you go to Jesus first with your problem, then you trust him for the impossible? And thirdly, are you doing whatever Jesus tells you? 
Oh, I love what Mary responds in verse 5. Jesus' mother says this to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. I highlighted that. Mary's instructions were not based on the promises of Christ's actions. There was no guarantee. But she just trusted and obeyed. And so, what is it that Jesus is telling you to do today? Are you listening for it? Whatever Jesus is telling you to do, you need to do it and do it immediately. And you need to call your family and others to do it too. Fourth question you need to ask yourself is this. Do you believe that God will always give you his abundant best? His abundant best. Look at verse 7. Look what it says. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to where? To the brim. To the brim. Jesus does not hold back. He wants to give back his full joy to us. Now now let's just be honest. Um, For many of us alcohol-abstaining Baptists, we really don't like this passage, do we? This is one of those ones we kind of black out. Like, come on. Like, come on, Jesus. Okay, you need to give him a little wine, but it says there in verse 6 that six jars, 20 to 30 gallons? That's like 120 to 180 gallons of wine. What's going on here? Well, I want to remind us that um, Jesus came to give us great joy. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't hold back from actually enjoying this miracle, this incredible miracle that Jesus did. As D.A. Carson reminds us, the messianic age which Jesus was bringing about right then, right here in this story, was to be a time where the wine flowed liberally. In Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 14, we, we find the prophet Amos giving us a forward look to when the Messiah would come. And this is what it says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. It's not our typical Baptist statement, is it? I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. And they will plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they will make gardens and eat their fruit. And so we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that Jesus is actually trying to show he comes with great joy to give life and give it abundantly, right? Abundantly. But there's more to this. I want to ask you this further question of this. Do you believe that God will give you his abundant best even if it breaks all the rules that you've been taught? Verse 6. There's a little phrase in here that you might have missed as I read it. It might not have stood out to you, but it's important. Verse 6, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, this kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Okay, ceremonial washing. I've never heard of that. It's never... It's never Mentioned in the scriptures before. See, what happened was, the teachers of the law thought, okay, we know that we need to be cleansed by God, and so in order to do that, what we need to do is start having ritual baths. 
And in Jerusalem, they created all these ritual baths called mikvahs, and, and you bathe yourself before you went into the, into the temple to worship. And they realized that, that, of course, those in the countryside would also want to worship God. And so they said, well, you can't get to Jerusalem, so why don't you have these jars full of holy water, cleansing water, that, um, that will essentially cleanse you, and then you'll be right with God. That's not mentioned in the scriptures at all. So as Ray Vanderlyn says, Jesus was saying that by filling up those jars of water, I want to give you something so much better than man-made religion. I want to give you something far greater than the rules that you have in your mind and your, your expectations. And so Jesus comes filling us with joy. And he says, I've got something so much better. He is the only one who satisfies our soul, as we sung earlier. So do you believe that God will always give you his abundant blessing, even if it breaks the pattern of the rules and the things that you thought was how things should go, and your perspective on parenting, your perspective on life? If it's not found in God's word, then we need to really be careful about making that an established pattern in our lives. Do you believe that God will always give you his best, even if it's delayed? I also see this in this passage, even if it's delayed. Now, man, I really love it when God just works really quickly. But God is not going to do things on our demand. And in this case, we find that Mary comes to, jo- to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. And Of course, Jesus could just say, okay, I'll take care of it. I'll just say the word and all the glasses will be filled. But instead he goes through a process. And he wants the servants to get the fact that Jesus is the miracle-working servant himself. He delays those miracles. He often does. I already told you about the 400 years in Egypt. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in that place of waiting, do not give up. Do not give up for God to intervene in your seemingly impossible situation. Don't just go to him first and then say, okay, i got to take over. Continue on. Wait for him to act. Do you believe that God will always give you his abundant best, even though it means bearing a cross? Turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. Check out verses 25 and 26. John 19, 25 through 26. Now, I want to read to you what, back in John chapter 2, and then you can follow along in, in chapter 19. When Jesus gets this word from his mother Mary that there's no more wine... He responds with this first phrase, dear woman, literally woman. And look at John chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Jump down to verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman. Same phrase. See, even way back at the first miracle... 
turning water to wine, there's a forward look, a foreshadowing of the cross by saying, dear woman. Miracles are a place of pain. They always begin with that place of pain. And it always means bearing a cross, the cross of Christ. Even Jesus' second response to, to, to his mother, my time has not yet come. That phrase sounds kind of weird, eh? The reality is, is my time has not yet come. Jesus repeats that often. In the Gospel of John, he actually says it six times. And in John 17, verse 1, he prays it to his father. He says this to his father. and he, he's, he's asking God to, to do a work in his life. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So do you believe God's abundant best, whether it's breaking the rules, not the rules of God, but the rules that maybe are in your mind, or the fact that it's going to be de- delayed, or the fact that it's going to come through suffering? Do you believe that God's going to give you his very best, his abundant, overflowing, joyful best? You need to answer that question in the affirmative. The last question I want you to ask is this. Do you desire Jesus' glory to be revealed in your life? Do you ask Jesus' glory and ask him to reveal his glory in your life? Today we've honored mothers. And the reason why we honor mothers is because we really need to honor God. He tells us, honor your father and your mother. It's one of his top ten, right? And uh, the reason why we need to honor our mothers, which we result in honoring God, is because our mothers are earthly pictures of his great care for us. And so I challenge you mothers and everyone in this room, you have been given the responsibility to exemplify Jesus and to follow Jesus in your life. Is your goal to just instill values into their lives? To take them to church? Or are you ultimately not even concerned about yourself being honored, but God himself? If you will, you'll experience a miracle. Father God, we thank you for the fact that through the, the life of Mary and more importantly, the life of Jesus, we can see that you are a God who still does miracles. And we need that, Lord. Maybe some today have a wayward child. Maybe others are struggling with their child's um, disabilities. Maybe others are concerned about their children's friends or family or spouse or troubled waters that they're going through. Lord, I pray that they would grab hold of the truth that you are still a miracle-working God. So we, we ask today that you would help us to really follow you. We pray in Jesus' name.